Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC is heading to Sao Paulo this weekend for Jacare versus Blankovic in an exciting light heavyweight showdown. It's going to be interesting to see how Jacare does coming up to 205. Will he follow in the footsteps of Tiago Santos and Anthony Smith and all those who did so well? Or is he more destined for the Luke Rockhold, Chris Weidman path? Well, we'll be talking about that during our fights, dogs, and parlay section, along with two other of our favorite fights, as well as an underdog in a parlay we think that you should play. And speaking of this card, we're also talking to two of the fighters on the card. I'm going to be talking with the James Krause and Tracy Cortez as they get ready for their bouts this weekend. But of course, before we get to any of that great content, I got to remind you that this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by Punch Lab. Look, we all know that it's very hard to get to the gym at a specific time to work out with your boxing coach. We also know that it can be really hard to find a good boxing coach. And, and when you do find one, they tend to be really expensive. Well, not anymore because the Punch Lab app now brings high quality boxing instructors right into the palm of your hand. This app, which you can get in both the Google Play Store or the iTunes Store, whatever one you're into, has workouts designed specifically for boxing, kickboxing, MMA, Muay Thai, Sambo, all kinds of different striking arts, and they're designed by real qualified striking coaches. Those coaches are going to talk you through the sessions, whether you're on the heavy bag or whether you're shadow boxing. It doesn't matter. They've got all kinds of different stuff lined up for you. Plus, you can attach your phone to the heavy bag using their special belt, which will actually count and measure the strength of your punches and kicks. So you're going to get a detailed report following up a great training session all from the palm of your hand. It is absolutely amazing, and it is going to change the way that you change striking. So make sure that you download the Punch Lab app. Punch Lab brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. This is Daniel Gumby Freeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to James Krause, who fights Sergio Marias at UFC in Sao Paulo on November 16th. So, James, I want to talk to you about your win streak going on right now, because it's very under the radar. You've actually won five fights in a row, all in the UFC. What do you think the reason is why this doesn't have a little bit more hype behind it than it does? Uh, I would probably say due to like the the volume that I fight at, <clears throat> I don't fight uh, I don't fight like three four times a year like a lot of these guys do. So uh, you know, I would that, that would be the the number one reason that that comes to mind is is just the the sheer amount of volume that I you know that I I'm not really at fight once or twice a year. And is that something that you do by design? Like, is are, are you still planning to fight once or twice a year, or is that something you you look to you know up in the future? Uh, no, I mean, I really just, I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, I have 60 fights for an amateur. I'm just not sure that my body can handle doing, you know what I mean? Like four fights a year. Like, uh, I think two, two is my number. I think that's where I need to be at. Uh, and I have a lot of things going on outside of the UFC as well. So it's, uh, I think two is where I need to be at. Uh, but I, like I said, this year, I've just, I've recently had a, uh, just a, a baby boy, so that's kind of been the the reason for my longer layoff this time. And, and I gotta ask you too: do you, do you feel that dad strength like Cowboy Cerrone now that you have a child? Uh, 
Well, I've had I had a I had a I have a four year old too. So uh, yeah, I mean it's no, it's no different, man. It's 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 really no different to me, honestly. It's uh, it's all the same. It, it's 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 if Nate just Nate Diaz just, just said it best. It's, man, it's war. It's all the time. Like I'm not I'm not about holding my holding my kid in the middle of the cage and stuff like that. Like when I go when I go there for fight week, I'm going there for business, and uh, my kids ain't got nothing to do with that. You know, I'm whether I have a kid or whether I don't, I'm gonna go out there. I'm gonna fight my ass off every single time. It really doesn't matter if I have if I have people to feed at home or not. You know what I mean? Like I'm trying to win. I don't want to lose a game of checkers. So having a kid doesn't change that. Absolutely. So let's talk about business too, because you know you said in there that you've got some other stuff going on outside of the cage. You said it's all business when you get in the cage. I know obviously that you, you got your own gym that you work out of, but I know that also that you've been doing some other investing outside of the MMA realm. Could you tell us a little bit about what those things are? Yeah, yeah. I'm really big into real estate, uh, real estate investing. Uh, I've done quite a bit this year. Uh, a couple, a couple houses that I turned into Airbnb rentals, uh, and then I bought a fourplex recently. Uh, just sold it actually. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like real estate is is one of the best investments in the world. Uh, you increase you increase top line profits. Uh, you can decrease bottom line spending, and then all while somebody else is paying your paying your bills. So there's really no other investment and like it in my personal opinion also in the history of real estate over the course of a 10-year period real estate has never gone down ever in the history of real estate so it's just a it's a safe bet you know there's always going to be ups and downs with the economy and everything but over the course of 10 years it's shown that it's going to it'll stay stable and it's always going to keep going up i mean right like we we only have so much space right there's only only so much area and at some point that's going to run out so the value of that is consistently going up and what sort of got you into to doing real estate? Because obviously, like you, I can tell you, you're very knowledgeable about the subject. But but what got you started? Well, I think I think uh, just I've never I've never felt a sense of security from fighting. To be honest with you, I mean, like I've never I've never felt like I still to this day I, I've never felt like I've made it. You know, like I've never felt like this is it. And uh, so I, I think just. I'm old, I'm constantly thinking of like what happens if I lost everything today, you know, like if I quit, like maybe I broke my back and I can't ever fight again or, or my gym or we hit a recession and my gym doesn't do well. Like what are different avenues that I can uh, take advantage of to bring different income in and <clears throat> people, people are always traveling and, and even if the short term rental game collapses, I, I feel like I can, I can make money on the long term because I I got both the current Airbnbs I have I got both of them at a great price, and um, closing on another uh, another property here in the very near future is a very near future as well. So uh, I think just the the to answer your question, never feeling content with what I have, you know, like I, cash flow to me is like what's in your bank account. Wealth is is what you're gonna have, you know, 20, 30 years from now. And fighting is cash flow. The gym is cash flow you know, these are all things that cash flow well and you can make quick quick dollars at, but twenty, thirty years real estate will make me a multimillionaire, you know what I mean? Not not fighting. Yeah, that that's very true. Now I'm interested too because you said you never felt like you make it in the MMA world or haven't felt like you have yet. 
is that strictly because of the nature of the game that it is like a cash flow situation or do you feel like there is something that would help you feel that way about MMA? No, absolutely not. It's, I mean, you see guys, you see guys like, uh, the guy that comes to mind is the last Theodore, you know, he just got cut eight and three in the UFC and he got cut. So like, there's just no, there's no security in the game. And, uh, you know, really outside of the UFC and then Bellator starting to pay a little bit more PFL starting to, to get opportunities, but really in Bellator and PFL, like there's like 10 to you know 20 guys, let's call it 20 guys on the roster that's making any kind of real money. Everybody else is making dog shit pay. So, uh, you know, it's like, there's just no security in this game. You know, like it's, it's a petty ass game. So like you, you mentioned earlier fighting four times a year. Okay. So let's just say, let's say I decided to fight it four times a year. That's, that's uh, once every three months. Let's say I go, I go zero and two against two of the best guys in the world. What's to say the UFC is not going to cut me? In in six months, my life can completely change. You know what I mean? Like so, it's like I can't count on somebody else to put food on my table. I cannot count on somebody else to pay my bills. I have to count on myself. So I've never felt that sense of security like the UFC is going to take care of me because they're not. And and look, and that's not a bad thing. Like I don't, I get the sense that when I talk about stuff like this, people get the wrong impression. Like I'm dogging on the UFC and I'm not. It's a business. It is a business, and the business is it's a cutthroat business, and it is what it is. You know what I mean? Like that's that's how the the MMA business. If if they need to cut somebody going off two or three losses in a row to move forward and and uh, advance themselves as a company, then that's what they have to do. You know, I'm not. I don't. I don't ever think twice about that. But it's just there's no there is zero security in this game at all, and I refuse uh, to let somebody else control how much money goes on my table. I love that as a mentality that that's obviously very, very smart. Now I'm curious just a little bit more about this too, because uh, obviously this is a big part of your life. You're super knowledgeable about it. Do you do a lot of the work to the houses yourselves or do you hire a lot of contractors? So I have a couple different projects going on right now. My very first Airbnb I purchased, uh, I bought it, uh, already, uh, already furnished. So I got really lucky. I got a, I had an investment group that was looking to just clear up some cash and they sold it to me. Uh, you know, it was already, it was already an Airbnb. So I got really lucky on that. Uh, I'm actually, I have one opening and then within like the next two weeks and I've, I've done all the updates and furnishing and that my wife, uh, has been a tremendous help with that, uh, ton. She's pretty much, she's a RN and she pretty much quit her job to help me, you know, do that. Cause we're constantly doing stuff like that. I also have a, a house flipping business as well. And then I have a partner. My partner in that is a is a GC general contractor. So, uh, you know, I don't personally ever really go do any of the work, uh, but I I'm a I am a big part of the decision making process. And more importantly, my value is brought out in the buy. You know, like I find the I find the deals, I fund the deals, uh, and then I, I I make all the all the internal stuff happen. Uh, and then obviously the the contractors do their thing because I'm not. That's not my field. I stay in my lane. I'm good at what I'm good at. I'm not trying to put flooring down. I just don't have time for that. So uh, my value is on the buy, you know what I mean? And then obviously uh, on the marketing of that and then the selling of that. So my wife's been a huge help of that. My my partner in that has been a huge help on the, on the flip, getting that ready. That should be ready to sell here in the next uh, two, three weeks as well. So, yeah, it's, it's a big team effort, man. you got to have a good team around you. That, that's absolutely amazing. It's, it sounds like in, in no time we'll see the James Krause uh, HGTV special. Is that coming up? <laughs> <laughs> that, that'd, be, uh, that'd be pretty cool, man. It seems like they've kind of uh, 
my man uh, Bristol Marunde, he's a good uh, good friend of mine. He's he's done a killer job of that, and they've kind of I feel like they've kind of ran that course. So I don't know. I would love to do something like that for sure. And uh, you know, yeah, absolutely, it'd be it'd be awesome. I you know I don't know how receptive they are. To, it seems like they've already kind of they've already they've already done that. Yeah, they they definitely do have their their fighter already. I guess if you have Bristol Marunde, maybe they don't need two fighters on that channel. Who knows? Um, but let's let's talk a little bit about your fight, too, because this is an exciting fight. Uh, I noticed, again, the fight is at welterweight. You've sort of bounced back and forth between welterweight and, and lightweight over the last couple of years. Is welterweight where you're staying now that, that this fight is there? Yeah, welterweight's where I'm going to be at. I swear, yes, yes, thank you. I'm 100% at welterweight. I'll retire as a welterweight unless I make a 165 division. Then I'll go to 165. I'm not going back to lightweight unless they offer me a shit ton of money. All right, that makes a lot of sense. Now, I also want to talk about the fight itself, too, because you're fighting Sergio Marias, who's a third-degree black belt in jiu-jitsu. You're obviously a very polished jiu-jitsu practitioner in your own right. Do you see this as a a match where we're going to see a lot of grappling, or do you see this as a match where sort of the grappling styles cancel themselves out? Uh, Well, I hope the second one, you know, because I feel like – I feel like whoever is on top on the ground is going to win that. So if we were to grapple and I, I don't, I'm not afraid of his ground game. Uh, if I'm on top of him, you know, but being underneath him sucks. He's a, uh, he's got a very like IBJJF style of grappling. There's not a lot of punches. It's a lot of hold, squeeze, move up a couple inches, hold, squeeze, move up a couple inches until he gets to like mount or back. And then he starts to work, you know? So uh, in my opinion, it's a, it's a very effective style, but it's, it's kind of boring. Uh, so for me, I, I feel like if I'm on top of him, though, I'm not really worried about him subbing me from my back. It's not to say that it can't happen. It's just not a, you know, it's not a huge concern of mine. I feel very comfortable on the ground. I'm a first-degree black belt. I know he's a three-time world champion, third-degree black belt. There's levels to jiu-jitsu, obviously, and I'm not, uh, I'm not t- too naive to think that I would beat him in a, in a jiu-jitsu competition. But this is not a jiu-jitsu competition. So, um, however, on the feet, I think there's a – I think there's a drastic difference. I think it's a blue belt versus a third degree black belt. So, uh, you know, I, I feel like, uh, yeah, and we'll see. Obviously, this is why we fight, right? I mean, this is me talking shit, but I do feel like striking, I'm going to hold a very, very large advantage over him just with my movement. And, uh, you know, we have a, we have a common opponent and, and Warley Alves, Warley gave him some serious problems, uh, striking where Warley, I don't think hit me in eight minutes. So, uh, you know, I, I just think there's a big level difference in the striking, uh, but we'll find that out. You know, I think he's coming off a couple losses now, and I think he's gonna. He's lately he's been he's been striking a lot. I don't think he's gonna do that this fight. I think he's gonna shoot on me, try to get me to the ground, go back to his his jujitsu game, uh, which leads me to the the next big advantage I think I have, and that's cardio. I think I'm gonna. I think I, I, I've proven over time that I can fight for 15 minutes hard, and I, I don't. I don't know that I could say the same about that for him. That's very true. And and also, too, I, I have to ask, now, you've had a very long career at this point, 33 fights, or at least 33 professional fights. To my knowledge, you've only fought out of the country one time, and I believe that was only Canada, if I'm not mistaken. So Correct. now you're going to Brazil. You're fighting in his backyard. Have you thought at all about what that's going to be like after all these times fighting You know, pretty much right in your, your neck of the woods? Well, I mean that's that wasn't that wasn't by accident. That's by design. I mean the tax the taxes on that that you know you're going to pay an extra fifteen to thirty percent taxes fighting out of the country, and we don't get a raise for fighting out of the country. So re, uh, recently Brazil just lifted that tax though, which is the only reason I'm fighting outside of the country. So uh, 
man, I, my, my UFC debut, I don't know if you remember or not, was against Sam Stout in Canada on 16 days notice. So uh, I'm no stranger to this scenario. And, and really, to be honest with you, when him and I are in that cage, those people can't help him. They can't help me. It's just him and I in there, and, and we'll figure out who's going to be a better fighter on that night. It has nothing to do with the people. The only factor that I could see Brazil playing into this is, is if we have a close fight and the judges, uh, and the judges take, take a little bit of control. But my, my job is to not let that happen. Absolutely. Now, I, I got to ask you, too. So, you know, you, you mentioned that you like your cardio against them. You mentioned you like your striking against them. Can I get a prediction out of you? How do you see this one going down on November 16th? I, I think I'm going to knock him out. Uh, I, I don't know what round. I, I feel like I'm going to knock him out with a knee the same way I knocked out Wiley Alves. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This was the James Krause who fights Sergio Marias at UFC Sao Paulo on November 16th. James, thanks so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. Hey, thank you. I appreciate you. This is Daniel Gumby, Freeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. And today, I have the pleasure of speaking to Tracy Cortez, who fights Vanessa Mello at UFC in Sao Paulo on November 16th. So, Tracy, you actually just made your UFC, or your, I take this back. You just made your pro debut two years ago. Is it surreal to think about you making your UFC debut right now? Yeah, man, it, it, it's going by so, it went by so fast, but the journey's been tough. <laughs> it's been tough, but I've, I've enjoyed every step of it. It's, it's made me who I am today, and uh, hopefully it showcase, it will showcase uh, November 16th. Yeah, and, and you said that, you know, it, even though it was seemingly fairly short, it, it was tough. <laughs> were, were there times in there where you, you had doubts about making that, that career choice? No, never. I never, I never, I never doubted myself, nor did I ever think it wasn't going to happen. Um, I just knew I, I'm a big believer and everything happens for a reason. And I, and I knew that when the timing came, uh, it would come quick, you know, and sure enough, I, I did my contender series and here I am now, but I make my pro debut. Yeah. UFC pro de- UFC debut. Yeah, and th- this UFC debut comes uh, on short notice, but you also got a short notice opponent too because you were filling in for somebody and now they're filling in for the opponent. Uh, how, yeah. How, how has all of that gone? Because I imagine it's not easy to prep for a fight like that. No, ori- originally, they, like you said, they asked me if I could uh, repla- be a replacement and with my managers and my coaches and everyone agreeing, we took it and then... You know, she fell off. I I still don't know why. Uh, and we got a new opponent, but same game plan, different person. You know, is the same game plan because you think they have something similar in style, or is it because mostly that you're just focused on what you can do? Exactly. So it, one, I'm focused. I know what I'm capable of. And two, I do find them very similar, but I also know that this girl probably can, or she will be tougher. She's I, I believe she's like sixteen or ten and nine or ten and six or something like that. So she she has a record and she has experience. So I I do believe she'll be a lot tougher than my first opponent. But uh, toughness and technique and everything else that comes, you know, it's it's more than tough. Absolutely. Now, you, speaking of tough, you you were actually are making your your first fight outside of the United States, or at least in your pro career outside of the United States. How are you preparing for that, and what's that like? Um, I'm just I'm just a little nervous for the travel, like the actual trip out there. 
but I'm, I'm not I'm not nervous into stepping into someone's backyard. I've done it before. If you look at my record and who I fought, I've, I've fought in people's hometown. So I'm not nervous about that. I'm just, it's a 16-hour flight, and I just need to get through it. <laughs> it's my first time being on a plane that long. So I'm excited, but I'm nervous. And uh, uh, what's the word? I'm, it's Everything's a whole new experience. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, I'm just, I'm just enjoying the journey, you know? Are you worried at all about weight cutting with the travel? Because I know sometimes that, that that's a little bit worrisome, knowing that you don't have, you know, exactly what you need by your side. No, uh, I'm I'm not too worried about that just because I have great coaches and I know what I have to do to cut the weight. Um, if anything, I'm just, I know I'm going to be tired uh, with the travel and it's going to be, like I said, it's going to be a whole new experience. So I don't know how it's going to be. I just know I, I'm going to be tired. So I'm gonna be, I will be cutting weight when I fly out. But aside from that, I I just need a tub and I'm good. <laughs> Sounds good. So now I want to change subjects off of your fight a little bit because I know that you have a history with Henry Cejudo. You've known him since he was in high school through your brothers and things like that. I, I wanted to ask a couple of questions about that relationship. What's it like seeing him in the spotlight now when you you knew him when he was so young? Um, I don't know. I, I've actually gotten asked that a couple times and I just see him as Henry, you know, I've, I've known them my, pretty much my whole life and I grew up with them and I'm really tight with their sisters, with their younger sister, Christy. And I just, I, he's just Henry to me, you know, he's a hard work ethic and I love their family and they were there for us when we were going through tough times and losses and, uh, I love that family. You have nothing but good things to say about them. And I was going to ask you too, you, you sort of alluded to it in your answer, but is there any advice he's given you as you've embarked on your, your MMA and now UFC career? Yeah, I'm actually, uh, I, I've talked, he's talked to me a couple of times and he's very knowledgeable. He's a smart, not only is he a great athlete, but he's a smart person and he knows the mindset of going into all of this, you know, uh, him being a, having a gold and just the challenges that he's took along his career. So he knows the, the emotions and how it's going to be. And he has gave me uh, great advice. Um, so I'm, I'm very grateful to have people like that around me as well. You know, it's crazy because you would have never thought like my, that our whole circle growing, like our childhood circle would be in the same sport. Yeah. Like, I think about that. I'm like, oh, that's great. Like, not a lot of people could say that. Yeah, and, and to all have made it to the, the highest level, too. Now, now I do have to ask a, one more follow-up question about him, too, because you said, you know, you just see him as Henry. Uh, obviously, lately on social media, he's had a lot of videos out there, a lot of promotional stuff out there. That's a little bit over the top. It's a little bit goofy, a little bit silly. Is that sort of how he always was, too? Is he always a little over the top like that? Uh, <laughs> uh You know... Uh, Henry, he's, uh, he, he, he could be humble. He can, he could be humble. He, with me, he doesn't act like that with, around his teammates. Uh, but you gotta do what you gotta do, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. So let, let's return the talk to you too, because obviously we want to talk a little bit about more about this fight before I let you go here. You're fighting Vanessa Mello at UFC in Sao Paulo. If you could ask, or if I could ask you to give us a prediction on the fight, how do you see this one playing out, and how do you see it ending? 
Um, uh, I don't know. I'm, I honestly don't know. I just do know that she's a tough opponent, and me being the fighter that I am, I keep the I I keep the pace high. So either one, she won't be able to keep up with my pace, or two, it's gonna be a high paced fight, and we're gonna go at it. You know, um, but I do see myself being the better the better fighter, well well rounded fighter. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Tracy Cortez, who fights Vanessa Mello at UFC in Sao Paulo on November 16th. Tracy, thanks so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And those interviews with James Krause and Tracy Cortez are brought to you by A Story About a Fight from Rumination Films. A Story About a Fight is a short action drama film about the beauty and the violence of the sport that we all love so much. MMA. The premise of the film is that a young fighter on the up and up faces an opponent being trained by his estranged father. And I, for one, cannot be more excited about this film for two reasons. Number one, I've always said that we need more MMA films out there. There's simply not enough. And number two is it's being done by people who actually know MMA. Both the director, cinematographer, and the lead actor train in MMA as well as being huge fans of the sport to begin with. So it is going to look like an authentic version of MMA on the silver screen, and I couldn't be more excited about it. If you're excited about it and want to learn more about the project, you can go to astoryaboutafight.com to check out more, and you can also check them out on Twitter, at Fight. Now, I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, does James Krause have the most underrated win streak in MMA right now? You know, I think he might have the most underrated win streak right now. We've talked about this many times on the show, Gumby. The UFC roster is so uh, big now, and there's so much depth to it that certain guys just kind of sneak up on you with five fights, six fight win streaks, etc. where you're kind of like, wait a minute, that guy's on that much of a win streak? Holy hell. Yeah, and, and on top of that, too, you know, you mentioned you know, the roster being so big. It is so big at divisions like lightweight and welterweight, which he's actually split this win streak between the two weight classes. So the fact that he moved weight classes is probably one of the reasons why it's overlooked. And, and you know, he said, again, it's taken him a long time to accumulate those five wins. Plus, you know, welterweight just being so damn stacked. Uh, it's definitely overlooked, but, you know, he can make it six this weekend, and, and that's certainly exciting to me. Very exciting, and I'll tell you what else I find exciting, and that's our favorite segment on the show, Fights, Dogs, Parlays, and we're breaking it down for UFC Sao Paulo this weekend, which has the return of Jacare Salza. Before we get into our favorite segment on the show, I do wonder, Gumby, does any fine company sponsor Fights, Dogs, and Parlays? Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by Maroon Social. Go to any app store that you could possibly use and type in M-A-R-U-N-E for the one and only app that helps you track your martial arts progress. Whether you train judo, sambo, kickboxing, boxing, or jujitsu, you can head on over there, log your training sessions, and it will give you updates on whether or not you are making progress towards your goal week to week, month to month. Plus, you can log things like competitions, weigh-ins, and all kinds of other things. So check them out at Maroon Social. While you're in the business of logging things, why don't you keep track, fans of Top Turtle MMA, listeners of Top Turtle MMA, of our gambling advice and fights, dogs, and parlays? Because I've been keeping track myself, and we're doing pretty freaking good. Feel free to thank at Top Turtle MMA on Twitter. 
Yeah, and I was going to say, we have hit both of our underdogs in November in one of our two parlays in November. So if you guys are following along with us, you are definitely going to be winning some money. It's kind of like we're good at what we do. Let's get <laughs> on with fights portions. Uh, we'll start with the main event. Jan Bakovic, uh, minus 210 favorite. Again, Jacare Sousa, the Gator, betting off as a plus 175 dog. Kind of odd to see him as a plus 175 dog. Let's take a look at what they've done recently. Our boy Jan is coming off a big KO over Luke Rockhold. Lost to Thiago Santos before that. Got an arm triangle choke over Nikita Krylov before that. Women over Jimmy Manoa before that. Unanimous decision. So he's 3-1 and one in his last four. Really kind of peak Blankovitz right now. Uh, Jacare Salza coming off a decision loss. Unanimous decision to Jack Hermanson. Knocked out Chris Weidman before that. Lost to Kelvin Gastelum before that. Uh, knocked out Derek Brunson. Lost to Robert Whitaker. So he is two and three in his last five. Definitely lost to some top flight competition. The Hermanson win was a bit of an upset, but this is kind of the rockiest five fights he's ever had in the UFC. What do you see happening here? Uh, I, I'm, I'm actually leaning and going with Bonkovich here. And, and the reason's quite simple is, is when you think about people changing weight classes, my general thought process is if you are fast in a good striker, you want to go up because that that makes your your quickness and it makes your fast striking even more impressive. And, so, and sometimes you even hit harder when you, you haven't had to suck yourself down. Whereas if you're a bigger guy and you like wrestling and you like using your weight, going down a weight class is good because then you you can, you know, sort of let that be the deciding factor even more because you'll be bigger than the people going down. Jacare is a guy who has always made his, and don't get me wrong, he's got some power in his hands. He's always made his way by being a good grappler and by being able to impose his will. You go up a weight class, you lose that to an extent. And in addition to that, he's going to be going against a guy who is a very quick striker. He's, as we saw in his last fight with Luke Rockhold, he's got dynamite in his hands. And not that Jacare is a guy who like gets knocked out easy. But this does seem like a fight where he is just going to get outstruck on the feet and probably not be able to impose his will grappling. Uh, I think you bring up some good points. I'm not going to argue with you. I want to move on to our next fight, uh, Paul Craig and Mauricio Shogunhua. So you have two really big Brazilian names fighting on this card, uh, Jacare in the main event, and then, of course, Shogunhua uh, in the co-main event. But let's talk about Paul Craig first. He's coming off a big rear naked choke win over Vinicius Moreira, uh, lost to Alonzo Menafield before that via KO, triangle choke over Kennedy Nichukwu, uh, that's a tough name, lost via submission of Kimura to Jimmy Crute, triangle choke Magomed Ankielov. I mean, Paul Craig has fought literally, maybe not top flight competition, but the hardest names in the UFC to pronounce, so he at least has that to hang his hat on. So all told, he is 3-2 and two in his last five, um, but certainly a submission specialist. Shogun Hua, the legend, is coming off a big TKO win over Tyson Pedro. Lost via KO to Anthony Smith, which set Smith up for a title shot. Uh, beat Gian Volante via TKO before that. Split decision win over Corey Anderson, who's really peaking right now. Uh, beat Antonio Rogerio Nogueira via unanimous decision all the way back at UFC 190 in 2015. So he is Four and one in his last five, but if you just want to take it from the last two years, he's two and one. What do you have happening here? 
I'm going with Shogun all the way here. You know, again, if you look at Paul Craig, he's probably not going to win this fight unless he gets a submission. And Shogun, despite the fact that he is more of a striker, has an underrated submission game. Like, Shogun is a hell of a jiu-jitsu guy as well. He's he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. You just don't see him use it all that often. So knowing that, I'm highly doubting that Paul Craig is able to submit him, and he's certainly not going to outstrip strike Shogun. Shogun, despite being one of those older guys at 205, I think is largely overlooked. I mean, like, you just read his resume. Knocked out Tyson Pedro, knocked out Jean Vellante, beat Corey Anderson, beat Little Nog, and he's got a loss. His only loss in the last five years is to Anthony Smith, who's number two in the division. Like, that's absolutely insane when you think about it as a resume for a guy who's 37 years old. So, uh, I'm going with Shogun here, and I think he probably knocks Paul Craig out. Well, I think that is a very likely outcome. He definitely is the better striker. I just have to wonder, there's so many miles, you know, on that uh, that engine of Shogun. He's 37, but in fighting years, he might as well be 75. You're right that he only has one loss in the last five years. He also hasn't been super active. He had a streak um, where he lost, let's see, five out of seven uh, from 2012 to 2014. He obviously slowed things down. Now, those losses were to some top-flight competition as well. Ovin St. Prue via TKO, Dan Henderson via KO, uh, the guillotine choke loss to Chael Sonnen, uh, unanimous decision loss to Alexander Gustafsson, another loss via decision to Dan Henderson. So, again, tops of the division. But I just have to wonder, I almost have to go into every fight thinking, is this the fight where the wheels completely fall off, where Paul Craig could muscle him up against the cage maybe, get a takedown, get that submission? He certainly is not impenetrable to submissions. He's been submitted by Forrest Griffin. He's been submitted by Chael Sonnen. Uh, I would actually say Paul Craig's MMA jiu-jitsu is way more impressive than at least Chael Sonnen. Um, so, you know, I give Paul Craig a fighter's chance here, but I agree with you that Shogun is the better striker, and I would say prime Shogun destroys a prime Paul Craig. I just don't know that we really still are in Paul, prime Mauricio Shogun Hua era. Yeah, I agree with that, but again, you know, you mentioned those submissions. The last time he was submitted was over six years ago. You know, it was August 17th of 2013, which, you know... He, like you said, he has slowed down in the amount of fights he's taken since then. But, like, that's a long-ass time to not be submitted. And, and again, th- that was kind of a fluke one, too, because he, he got tagged a little bit by Shale Sonnen, which is a weird sentence to say in the first place. And then he shot a takedown for Shale Sonnen to hit the guillotine. So, like, again, even that is a weird situation. Well, certainly Vegas agrees he is a strong favorite at minus 260, Craig the plus 220 dog, which I think I failed to mention that. We'll move then to our third and final fight that we're going to break down before we get to our parlays and dogs section of fights, parlays and dogs. Uh, Charles Oliveira is a very strong favorite at minus 360 to Jared Gordon, who's betting off as a plus 300 dog. Um, Charles Oliveira uh, is coming off, you know what, actually? Yeah, he's coming off a TKO win over Nick Lentz. Uh, submitted via Anaconda Choke, David Timer. He's got a great Anaconda Choke. Uh, submitted via Rear Naked Choke, Jim Miller. Submitted via Rear Naked Choke, Christos Giegos. Submitted via, uh, Clay Guida via Guillotine Choke before that. So he is on a five-fight win streak. He'd have to go back to a TKO loss to Paul Felder 
back in December of 2017 to find his last loss. Jared Gordon, the underdog, is coming off a unanimous decision win over Dan Moret. Lost to Joaquin Silva before that via KO. Lost to Carlos Diego Fiera via TKO before that. Beat Hauser on DS before that. So he's 2-2 two and two in his last four. Uh, does he have a, a chance here as the underdog, Gumby? Look, I'm going to be honest. I don't think he does have a chance as the underdog. <clears throat> and part of the reason is because of his takedown defense. If you look at that last fight with Dan Moret, he got taken down twice against Dan Moret, which to me is alarming because Dan Moret, you know, can wrestle a little bit. But compared to Charles Oliveira, who's coming off of, you know, before his TKO victory over Nick Lenz, he's coming off four straight submissions, which is just an absolutely crazy run. In knowing that he's probably a better grappler than, than Dan Moret, even in the wrestling department, means Jared Gordon is probably going to have to wrestle with him, and I just don't see him surviving that. Fair enough. Let's get to our parlay. Uh, we're going to go Douglas DeAndrade, a minus 255 favorite, and Francisco Trinaldo, a minus 120 favorite. Bet them together in a parlay. You're going to get plus 155 money. What do you like about it? So I like Doug- Douglas DeAndrade, both because I like him as a fighter and also because I'm so over Henan Brow being in the UFC. The dude's on a four-fight losing streak. Since USADA was implemented, he's 1-6 in six with only a decision win over Felipe Nover. So at this point in time... Uh, I am just all in on betting against uh, Henan Barrow. And so at negative 255, that's a great fight to put into a parlay. And for Francisco Trinaldo, I think he's the type of guy who moves forward and doesn't get bullied well. So for him to be fighting somebody like Bobby Green, who sort of relies on being able to like back somebody down and bully them a little bit, I just don't see that that that's a good fight for Bobby Green. And I also think Trinaldo has a huge wrestling advantage if he chooses to use it. So at negative 120, it's a great one to pair with Andrade. And at plus 155, you get one and a half times your money back. And it seems like a smart bet on both of them. All right, let's go with our dog. Ruff, ruff, ruff. Eduardo Garagori, a plus 200 dog over Ricardo Ramos. Yeah, I think Eduardo Garagori is being looked at as an underdog in this fight only because he's the one with less experience. He's only 1-0 in the UFC. He got a fight in his home uh, country of Uruguay to start. Um, And he looked really good with the striking. The dude's got a Muay Thai background, and he's got a little bit of wrestling. He actually reminds me a lot of Ricardo Ramos in a lot of different ways. Ramos, I think, consistently gets overestimated based on the fact that he has that early spinning back elbow win over Ayman Zahabi, and people got real hyped on him. But people fail to recognize that that's a fight that he was losing for three full rounds before he he lands that knockout elbow. So, like, we're really looking at a guy who's probably 3-2 and two in the UFC, probably not nearly as impressive as people are playing him off to be, fighting a guy who's got a very similar style, a Muay Thai background, and the chance to knock him out. So, at at two to one money, I think Eduardo Garagori is a huge good pick for underdog here. We're on a roll. That's our fights, parlays, and dog segment for this week. Why don't you hit us up on our Twitter at Top Turtle MMA? Give us a big thank you for all this gambling advice we're giving out. Not even charging people money for it, but please support our sponsors because that really helps the show. Or you know what? Send us some hate tweets if we really fucked up your gambling this week. That being said, I deserve a bad motherfucker championship belt for making it through this taping with a cold and barely any voice. Gumby, you deserve a bad motherfucker belt for all this good gambling advice. Uh, Let's wrap this show up and, uh, you know, tell the fans what they need to know before we get out of here. 
And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for listening in each and every week. We could not do what we do without you guys. We also couldn't do what we do without FlowCombat.com, which has us on each and every week. So a special thank you to them. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social. Make sure to download the Maroon Social app. A story about a fight from Rumination Films. And the Punch Lab app. Make sure to check out the Punch Lab app wherever you download apps. Also, check out our Twitter, at TopTurtleMMA. We had an awesome round of Mystery Fighter going on during last weekend's event. We're going to do another one for this weekend's event, so make sure you're tuning in. Once again, I'm Daniel Gumby-Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will see you next week.